Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another Get Genius episode. I am your host, Summer Felix Mulder, and today I am talking to Todd Uterstadt, and I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. I've heard it enough on his show, but I still feel like I can't say it the right way, and I'm sure he gets that a lot because of its spelling. Anyways, he's such a super awesome guy, and uh, it's interviews like this that make me super enjoy and look forward to doing the podcast because I get to really learn so much information from people that I've been following myself. And I love this dude's podcast. His podcast is called From Founder to CEO, which is what we are going to be talking about on this show. And I'll tell you what that means in just a minute. But um, yeah, he is the CEO. He is a CEO coach and he's the host of From Founder to CEO podcast. And he also is a former military intelligence officer and shares a really rad story about that and how that kind of set him onto the path that he's on today. Um, He's interviewed like hundreds, I want to say, CEOs on his show. And every single one of those interviews, he he just breaks it down in, in such a really awesome, authentic way. And you get these takeaways, which is my favorite kind of podcast where you just hear this conversation and then you've got these takeaway points. And all these people are in different lines of business and they all have these amazing genius tips for how they are being a leader in their business and things that they've done to grow, um, how they've started as small businesses up into large publicly traded businesses. Crazy cool stuff. Anyways, so we're going to be talking about um, you know what it's like to be the CEO of your own company. A lot of founders don't even know if they should be um, or they don't want to be. They're scared of what that entails, and so they hire a CEO. How do you even know if you should be the CEO of your company if you are the founder? Um, We're going to talk about uh, a great story that uh, I really liked about co-founders and their relationship working together. Uh, Many, many of us have a co-founder, maybe even uh, more than one, and you know that sometimes you can be totally aligned, maybe sometimes you're not. And it's really talking about that relationship and how can we become more self aware ourselves so that we know what we need to work on in order to be the best leader that we can be. And then we talk about one of my favorites because I think it's so important, especially as uh, Eric, my business partner, and I um, are, are pretty knee deep into two other startups, and that's team building. And while we've done it with our company, The Draw Shop, it's it's starting to do that now with two new businesses, two different businesses than the draw shop and and how can we find those right people and how things just kind of seem new when you're starting over. So we're going to talk about all of that good stuff. Um, so many great takeaways. So make sure you're, you're listening out for that. And his, uh, website, which, uh, we'll give you in the show notes is from founder to CEO. And it has his podcast there. It has uh, a really cool, group, um, kind of like a mastermind group, um, that you can apply to become a part of. And that's all on his website as well. But, uh, listen to these stories. Uh, stories are awesome. In fact, we were even talking, uh, after the show about how we could collaborate together to help other CEOs and 
founders share their story because it's uh, it's pretty much the best, most effective way to get people to really care about what you do and want to be involved and, and be a, a fan of yours and a follower and a customer. So um, enjoy the interview and uh, let us know how you like it. Don't forget to share. Don't forget to review. And thank you. Hello, Todd, and thank you for being on my show. I'm super excited to talk to you. Uh, Summer, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Um, you're going to, you you have a, your business is called From Founder to CEO, and that's your podcast as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Can you like, because I know we're going to be answering some really cool questions, um, questions that a lot of uh, founders of companies might have asked themselves, am I actually qualified to do these certain parts of my business? So I know we're going to get it all into that. You interview some incredible entrepreneurs on your show. So I'm sure you have all kinds of amazing uh, tips that you've learned that you could share with us. But I want to start first with why this became important to you and, and how you created your show and your business. Well, it all goes back to I started out as an Army intelligence officer, and um, as an Army intelligence officer, you kind of have to get good about being confident about persuading and informing people with a lot of responsibility. And uh, I'll never forget one time I was stationed in South Korea, and my battalion commander asked me my opinion about a major battle that was actually going on on the ground, you know, a, a simulated battle. And uh, I gave him my opinion and tried to convince him why it was true. And Summer, he listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, wait a second. I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't listen to me, you know? Yeah. So, um, it was just kind of one of those moments in time when you realize, oh, well, maybe I'm okay about this thing that I do, you know? And so fast forward many years later, uh, when I transitioned into business, um, I'm just very curious about what happens inside the mind of someone who leads. And I'm more fascinated and more excited about helping founders kind of understand the personal transformation that's happening inside of them as their company grows at the same time. And it's just, I ask a lot of questions to try and help them get clear because I want to be clear about it. And so in the process of doing that, we help them kind of develop as a leader. That's so, it's so great. I love that. And, and do you do coaching as well? Yeah. So it's funny because the platform actually started because um, we started our company in 2005 as a traditional executive coaching firm, mostly working with corporations, names that you know, and also mid-sized companies. And I started getting phone calls from, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, so I started getting phone calls from startup CEOs and scale-up CEOs in the Midwest. And the reason being is many of the accelerators and incubators were starting to produce quality companies with founders who were getting traction. And they started having some issues. So they would call me somewhere and they would say, hey, Todd, can you coach me? And we would put together our proposal and it was too expensive and too heavy for many of the needs of startup CEOs. Yeah. So I was frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I want to help you. But our business model isn't designed. So I said, you know what? I'll just start a podcast and I'll interview successful founders about their personal transformation from founder to CEO. And we'll just go from there. And lo and behold, it took off. And I was surprised <laughs> because, <laughs> because you just don't know, right? And then and then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we have listeners in 100 countries and 
it's just really exciting. And then we have all these great guests. And so I've, I've learned so much about the nuances about that journey from founder to CEO. And I just like to share it with our audiences. And so then um, they asked me, well, what can else you do for us? And we started a group called Trill Team 10, which is basically a group coaching format of about 10 founders, but they have to be from different cities. So we have this thing called distant intimacy. You know how that happens somewhere, right? When you are real real with someone on a plane that you'll never know. Totally. Before. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we did and we launched it and it's been a great success and very rewarding, fulfilling. And the uh, the real benefit is the founders get so much support and helpfulness. And we kind of, it's a blended model where we help them solve practical problems, but additionally, we're helping them grow as a leader. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is that I, I love communities like that because oftentimes when you're in your own business and like you said, a practical problem, you can't really see what the solution would be because you're so wrapped up in it, but you can clearly see it for somebody else. And that's like yeah. such tremendous value when you're working with other people like that. Um, it's so true. And, you know, no founder ever starts their company to become a CEO. Right. right. So let's no let's founder. talk about that. Let's right. talk about that. <laughs> Can a founder be a CEO? Like just, you know, because it's it's when I first heard about you and I just heard just just the name from founder to CEO, I was immediately intrigued. Like, well, yeah, how does that happen? <laughs> should it <laughs> should it happen? <laughs> it's a great question. Well, it, yeah. I, I my underlying premise is not only can the founder become CEO, but frequently they should work toward that. And I'll tell you why. There's a significant amount of research that suggests when the founder can get through that all those struggles and learn to become the leader of the company, the success of the company is increased. The odds of success of the company is increased. And there's tons of research. In fact, um, I, I chronicle some of the research in my manifesto on our website at fromfounderceo.com. And I, I'm a big believer that if the will is there, we can find a way. Yeah. Now, is that because the founder has more emotional attachment and connection and passion for what it is that they founded? I think that's the largest reason for that. And some of the research bears that out too. I think to your point, there's an emotional connection. There's an organic energy that flows from a founder when they are truly connected to the product, the service, or the experience. And nowadays, Summer, as you know, I mean, a lot of founders are social entrepreneurs. They want to do some good in the world. Yeah. It is really hard to replace that emotional energy to get over the inevitable times it's going to rain on your parade, right? Right. And that energy, it's this, I mean, people always tell me, Todd, you're a very enthusiastic person. Why do you care about founders so much? Well, I'll tell you what my why, and it's an example of a founder's why is so powerful. And, and, and it gets back to that time when I was in Korea, as I mentioned before, I, we used to have this, this woman and these children come visit us when we were out in the middle of the field making fresh homemade food for us. And these were all, you know, 19 to 22 year old American soldiers out in the middle of nowhere, dirty, nasty, haven't been taking a shower for two months, you know. And I think, thought to myself, why does this woman come out here and do this? And you know what she said to us? What? I want, to, want my children to see 
that commerce helps create peace. Oh. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean commerce? You know, that was like a, a big lofty idea coming from a woman who came with her two children, making us fresh food out in the middle of nowhere, a dirty, nasty kind of training area for army personnel. And uh, many years over the course of years, it kind of dawned on me more and more that if you can get enough entrepreneurs to actually be successful, there's plenty of entrepreneurs, but then be successful, then peace breaks out in a small village, a town, a community, because once you engage in commerce with someone, you actually have to care about the other people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm a big believer, but the problem is – there's not enough resources at a price point and make it easier and faster and more efficient to help founders become that leader that the company needs. And that's why we started it. And that's my big why, because I, I, I guess naively, naively believe that we can help do that and we can help create continued peace around the world to engage. It reminds me of the guy who started the Kind Bar Company. You know, he actually started it. Because he wanted people in the Middle East to engage in commerce with each other so that they wouldn't be killing each other. Right. And I, I love that. <laughs> oh, I love that, too. So let's talk about, you know, the typical things that a CEO does. Because there's founders, there's entrepreneurs out there that, you know, they want to hire a CEO because they don't believe that they're equipped to do that. So can we kind of break that down and then perhaps talk about, you know, how do we then create the team to help you with those things that you don't believe you're you're good at? Well, first and foremost, it's it's an evolutionary process, right? It's not like it's not you wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to decide to be the CEO of the company that I founded. It's evolutionary. What typically happens is once you start getting product market fit, right? That that famous phrase that we all like to use in the startup arena, um, all of a sudden things change. Okay. Because it's no longer about discovery as 100%. It's no longer about trying to understand kind of a, a, a new idea and can it get traction in the marketplace. It's now about sharing that idea, that product, service, or experience to a broader number of people. And the the skills required of a founder to do that start shifting. They start changing and it may not be overnight, but it starts to shift and change and you start feeling it. Right. Whether you're bootstrapped or whether or not you have investors, right? Because some force starts telling you, yeah, I need to shift and change. And a lot of times it's your employees, right? Yeah. So the the, the traditional CEO role then often becomes shaping the culture, building the team, leading the team, making sure you have the resources, making sure that the team is aligned with the resources. Um, And really kind of building a leadership team that can take care of the day-to-day operations because there are not an unlimited number of things that the CEO focuses on. But first and foremost, the vision. Secondly, the culture. And third, the leadership team. Those three things are really what a CEO spends most of their time on in addition to external issues when the company gets bigger. But the founder really has that smaller team and we're all wearing many hats and it's very egalitarian and, you know, the C- the founder usually likes to say, well, I don't mind doing any uh, any task that my team um, is doing. But, you know, that's good for when you're small and scrappy and you have to kind of prove things and you're just getting started. But that doesn't work when you start getting like 25 employees. Summer, it's amazing to me the number of founders who tell me that the magic number of 25 people 
creates so much problem, so many problems for them, and the wheels of the business start to fall off. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what <laughs> what are solutions that that to that that you've found that work? Well, I think it 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 starts with a ground zero assumption, and that is self-awareness, knowing yourself more than you ever have before in your entire life becomes extremely important because most founders bring some level of a leadership genius to their business, but that leadership genius is different. They have different interests and they also have different needs. And we often measure the difference between their needs and their interests. And so that means they need a team that's the right fit for them. And that's not always the same because interests and needs are different. So understanding themselves and becoming super self-aware about what their needs are, what their interests are, what their typical leadership style looks like is super important because then you can't build a team that you need. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Totally. Have you experienced that? Do you have you seen this too? I've, I, I actually, I totally experienced that. And it, it almost happens without you even looking to become more self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, just, yeah. it's just part of, it's just part of the growing and what you learn about yourself. But what are, and I don't know how, how proper way to ask this. Um, what are things that we can do to become more self-aware? Do you know uh, what I mean? I mean, because yeah. I think I think we think we might be self-aware, a lot of us, but it, it often comes from a challenge or, you know, a situation that you really learn about yourself and how you handle the situation. And sometimes it comes later after you've already dealt with it. Sometimes yeah. you learn something about yourself from a current situation and you realize something about yourself that you actually overcame a year ago. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's making me think about how to categorize the two type, two major ways that you can become more self-aware. I think a, a founder, a, an entrepreneur that is naturally more reflective um, and takes the time to do so can become more self-aware simply by doing things like journaling your experiences from the week and asking yourself what you learned, um, journaling about your fears and anxieties, journaling about what worked that week, what didn't work that week. Um, it requires intentionality and discipline and a sense of purpose. But those founders that are inherently and organically designed in their brain to do those types of things, that's a great way of becoming more self-aware and, and using yourself and those types of tools. I have find, though, that most founders are not like that. Um, and they need external stimuli to be able to seriously think about who they are. So here are some examples. Um, personality assessments. You know, we like to use the Berkman personality assessment, but then there's also the Myers-Briggs type indicator and there's the disc. We use and there's Colby. A, yeah. Oh, Colby. I love the Colby. Yes, yeah. yeah. So those are great external stimuli, but they're only designed, even though they say, oh, you're supposed to be like this. They're just designed to get you to think more deeply about how you answer the questions on that assessment, right? There's a, a benchmark that they're that they're describing that they're crafting that you say, yeah, I'm like this by answering the questions. That's one way, but that is usually a framework that's already designed by the designers at assessment. I find that also 
combine that with a 360 assessment, either qualitative interviews. So for example, if you're a founder and maybe someone would interview your um, investors, they would interview some peers, family members, some of the people on your team, and ask them some open-ended questions about when you're at your best, when you're at your worst, what are your strengths, what are your limitations? And they can kind of craft kind of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They can tra- craft a, um, a storyline yeah. about, about you by those qualitative interviews. But then just as powerful is to use in a, a, a 360 tool that has normative data. So let's say, for example, you're a software as a service company and you have uh, 25 employees and you know you have maybe six direct reports that are managing various different elements of the business for you. Well, you can get an assessment that can tell you, hey, you know what? You know, 5,000 other founders who are running software as a service companies um, have these strengths and these limitations. And how do you sit with that benchmark? That is often the moment in time where people's eyes get really big when they see that information. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Does that so, help? Yeah, that that totally helps. And one thing that I remember from one of your, I think it was pretty recent blog posts, was an interview that you did with somebody who had a co-founder. And yeah. he had this thing that he didn't believe his co-founder shared the same mission um, that he did about the company and they weren't aligned. I think that's such an important story because many of us have co-founders and it's easy to say, well, it's because of them or it's because of him or her, <laughs> you know, that we're not aligned or, or th- things aren't things aren't, you know, gelling like they should. Uh, could you share that story? Are you OK? Is that? Oh, yeah. OK, that I think that would be so I, I want to hear the full story because I, I know a little bit about it from your blog post, but I'd love to hear the story. Well, I know the, the person you're talking about is Matt Fisher, and yes. he's the founder, co-founder and CEO of Curiosity Advertising. Matt was also a member of Trail Team 10, our, our group of founders. And so. He came on the show actually to, um, after he had processed that experience through Trail Team 10. So he was more articulate about it, more so than the average person usually is. Because when you're in the middle of it somewhere, no one is articulated about these things. But they have 75 employees at the time and they were growing. And um, I guess Matt had an idea about the future growth and his co-founder had a different idea about future growth. And, it, and from that conversation – Matt started making some assumptions, he says, about his co-founder in the future that really weren't really – I guess he would say they weren't really um, grounded in some authenticity and reality. He made some assumptions, and so he got angry because he thought that his – I guess his, co- I thought his co-founder wasn't interested in growing anymore, and um, they worked really hard to build it. And it's a very successful company. And so what happens frequently for a lot of people, not just founders, is we say, oh, to your point, um, the problem is with someone else. In fact, one of my favorite books summer is um, it's called uh, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that book because we often start with something else is, is causing the problem and not yeah. us. And frequently we're a big part of the problem. Well, it's such a blow to the ego to have to take yeah. responsibility for a mistake. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> and so anyway, the, the, Matt tells a story that they kind of went to co-founder couples training and, um, oh, that's awesome. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was a good experience. And a lot of people have told me this, now, Jessica Ma from Indonero in uh, California, she, she too, she and her co-founder 
eclectic kind of um, uh, co-founder, you know, interpersonal communications training and whatnot. And it does help. And so what Matt realized after all of that is it wasn't about his co-founder. It was about him. Yeah. And he had to work through some things about himself. And uh, it's a very powerful thing to do. And quite frankly, it's very rare for someone to be that vulnerable when they come on my show. I spend an enormous amount of time getting people comfortable to come and be vulnerable. And Matt is an unusual person in that, you know, not many people come and say, yeah, I was mad at my co-founder and I thought my co-founder had problems, but I realized in the end I was the one with the problems. I mean, who says that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's the story. I mean, and, and, and you're not the only one who has told me that they really appreciated that because it made them reflect and think more about themselves. And I think you bring up a good point in asking about that story. And that is even with your co-founder, you can ask your co-founder, Hey, how am I doing? How, what, what, what works? What doesn't work? Um, and uh, you can just ask them to give you some feedback. It doesn't have to be complicated. No, exactly. And you know, like, like the simple things, you know, asking or other uh, team members or, or friends, you know, um, that was something else that you had about, you know, when am I at my best or yeah. when do you see me at my worst? You know, <laughs> exactly. it, it, it's, and that stuff, I mean, that stuff is hard to swallow in the moment, but it's also, it's almost like a weight off of your chest because you're carrying around something that you can't, whenever you have clarity, it's so much easier. Even if that clarity sometimes is something that's like, Hey, you really need to work on this about yourself at least you're clear on something and you know where to move forward. The frustrating thing is when you don't know and you're trying to blame on other things, but even you blaming and trying to fix those other things isn't working. It's so true. And I will tell you, I, I fall into the trap as well too, even though I'm like hyper conscious of it because I, I'm a coach and I help founders with this issue. A number of years ago, before we started from founder to CEO, um, we have a regular company called Baker and Duvall, named after our grandmothers. It's a traditional executive coaching firm, and we hired a, a marketing company in Cincinnati, Ohio, to help us refine our message. And I'll never forget driving down the road one day, talking to our marketing consultant, and she said to me, um, "Todd, you can't just keep adding more, and more buckets and more and more ideal clients. You have to focus." And I said, uh, I said, well, isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be helping me figure this out. And it wasn't until like a week after that I realized, oh, my gosh, she's right. I'm the one who's unfocused. She's the one who's focused. Yeah. And I wanted to blame her, but it was really me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. I mean, and this is like this is also in just everyday life, you know, even outside of your business and in relationships, parenting, all of that, it it happens and it and it's a hard thing to to look at but it's a in the end it makes things a lot easier i agree with you it does if you, if you can get over your own ego right it, exactly that's that's the that's the thing that stands in the way usually <laughs> most of the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so i want to get your this is something that i i love to ask especially people like you who have had experience in this and you have really great advice um a lot of our listeners, a lot of friends of mine are, um, they're entrepreneurs and they've got businesses that I hear frustration in terms of who they're hiring or when they're looking for a position, they're trying somebody out, two weeks have gone by, that person has messed everything up. You know, it's very, it's very dramatic. 
<laughs> it's very frustrating. Yeah. It's um, I'm trying to find somebody so that I can walk away a bit and I can't seem to find that person. Um, so hiring is so important. Eric and I, my co-founder, have have learned that. And the interesting thing is that, you know, our business is almost nine years old and we feel like we've got a pretty good grasp on how to hire for our business for this team. But we now have two other startups mm. and we're, you know, in the process of creating that team. And it's like it's almost overwhelming again. <laughs> how do we find the right person? You start asking all the questions, even though we've know because we've done it with another business before. But we've we've learned that you know you can't just hey that person seems nice let's bring them on board <laughs> we've learned that oh, that absolutely. doesn't work um and and you know we have kind of our 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 formulas and our personality testing and what are your strengths and and all kinds of things to find where that person is really going to thrive and do well so that they are happy and 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 that they're you know there's there's a nice um, groove with the rest of the team, you know, because sometimes you have a team member that's going to be working very closely with somebody else that you really value. And while that one person might be good, if they don't get along or they don't jive well, things can go sour pretty quickly. Right. So I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on that. Is there is there a process? Is there a certain mindset that, you know, founders, CEOs can have when finding positions and creating teams? Well, you mentioned a number of them, and if I could take some of the things that you mentioned and kind of marry them up with some of the things that we've learned into this idea of 30, 30, 30, 10, um, and it's kind of a, a focus, focus of what you're focusing on as you're making a decision about someone from your team. You mentioned one of them, which is can they work with other people on our team, and that's a cultural fit, and so I often tell people that's about the 10% piece of when you're calculating whether or not someone should be on your team. And you can find that out in many different ways, right? You can use some personality assessments or whatnot that uh, you measured yourselves and now you can see them. Uh, there's a company in Cincinnati that's really kind of digitizing that called called cloverleaf.me where they take all those assessments and kind of put them online real time for you so you can see that. And I think that's a, a, a key element, but then there's also these 30 these 30% pieces, right? One 30% piece is to use an assessment that does two things. One, forces you to get very clear about what the success traits are in that role. Mm, okay, so, yeah. so for example, in, um, in Canada, um, I'm trying to remember the name, a plum.io does a really good job of this. So they, they tell the person, okay, well, look. You need to answer all these questions first. You need to get very clear about what you're looking for, right? Then they have other people take their assessment to determine whether or not they actually match up to your expectations. That piece is often not done. And if it is done, they'll use an assessment that isn't really geared toward the success traits in that specific role. So that's the assessment piece. That's one of the 30% when you go 30, 30, 30, 10. Okay. The other 30% is behavioral-based interviewing. And, you know, um, when you marry up behavioral-based interviewing with the expectation that says, this is not a full-time job yet. It's a probationary job. We're going to hire you for 90 days or a month or, or you know, four months to determine whether or not the work we did works out. Because in behavioral-based interviewing, if you do it right, you'll figure out whether or not that person is a good fit and if they are from the behavioral-based interviewing, 
then you they should be on a, a time period where they prove that which they said during the interview questions, right? Right, right. So 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 that's the other piece of that. It's behavioral based interviewing um, that really gets to the core of what you decided is successful in that role. And then the other thirty percent is a really good background investigation. You want to see that the patterns that this person has had in their life equal the expectations that you want them going forward. So when you add all that up, you get 30% on a, an assessment that forces you to figure out what the success traits are and then measures them accurately. Two, behavioral-based interviewing. Three, a really good background investigation to determine whether or not those patterns are there. And then the 10% culture. And you'll get closer to the bullseye than 90% of the founders out there. Yeah. I love that. I think that's that's phenomenal. And one thing that you said, which I really love doing, is really identifying the success criteria. And yes. so really, you know, looking and going, OK, what does this look like if it's awesome? You know, if if this person comes on and what we need is getting fulfilled and, she, you know, he she is getting along with the rest of the what does that actually look like? She's doing this on a day to day basis. She's interacting with these people or he's doing, you know, such and such, whatever it is, and actually having a clear vision of that is is huge. I love reverse engineering. It's it's, it's like it just makes things so much simpler. <laughs> well, don't you? But it t- in your experience, I mean, doesn't it take a long time to do all that? To envision the success. No, to to, to go through the process of hiring someone. For your oh, team. to go. Yes, yes. And so it's it's a lot of work. But it's the reason why we often hear founders with this mantra, um, hire slow, fire fast, because the, the, it's, it's, it's the old mantra, go slow to go fast. Do the work up front so that you don't have the pain later on. That's absolutely – it's but so true because it founders, co- right? it'll cost you so much if you hire the wrong person. <laughs> absolutely. But we often are very busy as founders. We got a lot going on. Um, entrepreneurs always, we all have a lot going on and, and we, we think we can armchair this. We think we can kind of, uh, do it on the fly. No hiring is a deliberate, intentional, purposeful process. Exactly. And you have to know exactly why you're doing it and what it's going to bring and how it's going to help grow your business, not just fill in some things that you don't want to do. Absolutely. In fact, I'm often kind of <laughs> I'm often kind of impressed how people can pull this off when they hire a bunch of people before they have product market fit. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a second. You're either burning up your cash, or you have just enough customers to pay for it, or you're burning up your investors' dollars. So the key is, I mean, do do you actually have a product or service that people are buying? Before you're putting people, it's so true. I'm And you know, and that's part of the exciting thing is, as an entrepreneur, especially with with a startup, is you do wear a lot of the hats in the beginning, and and yeah. you're not, you know, you shouldn't as you grow, you shouldn't because you need to start doing the things that you're really good at and start to, you know, fill in those spots. But like you said, if you do that right from the beginning, I, it's. <laughs> Yeah, you're burning through. <laughs> you're just burning through. And it's it best to I remember how exciting it was, you know, when we first started our business and it was my business partner and I and, you know, 
an artist. <laughs> We're trying to do everything. I'm like, I'm going to write the scripts. I'm going to manage the products. I'm also uh, the projects. I'm also going to do all the sales calls and he's going to, you know, film all the videos and this, you know, we had all these things and it was just crazy. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, we're rocking and rolling right now. I'm going to now hire somebody to write scripts. Okay. Now we're super rocking and rolling. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire somebody to do this and this. And now it's like, we've got sales. We've got, you know, we've got obviously the whole entire thing is, is pretty self-managed, but had we done that right at the beginning, I mean, you'd tank right away. (laughs) Right. Right. And it, it, yeah. And it's funny because when you talk about the founder wearing so many hats, two thoughts come to my mind. Once a story, I was working with one founder and every time we talk with his team, no one on the team knew what hat he was wearing when he was speaking. Mm. So, and so it, was, it got very confusing because they get, they got the team members would get their feelings hurt when he had his CEO hat on and they may make a hard decision about someone on the team staying or going, or when he was wearing his financial hat on, or when he was wearing his kind of visionary hat and so I got to the point in time where I said to him, look, I want us to get some hats made for you. He's like, what? Yeah, yep. And when you're in these meetings, I want you to physically take the hat <laughs> that you are wearing and put it on your head and have them look at you so they know you're thinking through that side of your brain or that role and responsibility because those roles, they, they're, they're common roles, but we often don't know which one we're operating out of and which one the, the, the team thinks we're operating. Of. So that was one little story just to tell you how important it is to kind of refresh our memory and say, okay, yeah, people are listening to me because of this reason. Yeah. And then the second thing is, um, I think, of course, I lost my train of thought. Um, the second thing was what? I can't remember now. But, <laughs> about but the, the hats. But the, about um, the... Yeah, about the hats. Hiring I'm sure out. it'll come back to me later yeah. on. No, it's okay. It'll come back. Hiring out. Um, where, oh, I know. I know. And so then the next hard thing is when you have to slowly – peel off the things that you do. Oh yeah. To someone else. Yes. And that's a big one because I remember there's things that I didn't super love doing and I was excited to have somebody else who did love to do it take over. But mm. you learn how to let go of that and actually have trust in the other person. That was a big lesson I had learned years ago is if you if you don't trust that person, they can feel that and they're not going to do their best. So you do have to let go and they might not do it exactly the way you did it. But, you know, in the beginning, when you are doing everything and you've developed this, you know, certain system, how you do it, it doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it. Somebody else can come in and have a different way of doing it, but gets it done. And probably if it's not your strong suit, they're probably, and it is theirs, they're going to get it done more effectively and probably faster <laughs> than that's you so would. That's true. Yeah, it's so true. I just had uh, Jenna Tannenbaum. She's the founder and CEO oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. Green Blender on her show. And she she's just amazing. And uh, she has 100 employees. She has a subscription based company where they send you fresh ingredients to make fresh green smoothies for breakfast in the morning. And uh, she was pretty candid about what you just said. She said she gave up the photography of the food that they put in their website, which is key to their success. You oh, know? yeah. No one wants to look at, you know, bad photography <laughs> when you're buying, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. Right. And so uh, she was explaining how difficult it was for her to just hand over that photography, even though when they were had, you know, 75 employees. And like, Jenna, how could you spend your time doing that? There's so many. I know. I know it was really hard. And she got very clear about the reasons why it was hard. 
But there's always something, right? There's one of those things that we just don't want to give up because they're we be, either believe they're core to the company or we really like them or it's a habit we've created or as Dan Shapiro for the founding CEO of Glowforge says in his book, we retain something that we're good at yeah. as a hedge if the company doesn't do well or if we don't do well as the CEO – you can kind of revert to do. Interesting. And yeah. he says it's a subconscious thing that we don't really think about. And I think it's so true more and more as I work with founders. Yeah, that is true. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. You have, you have incredible content on, on your site, which is, uh, from founder to CEO.com. We'll have a, we'll have a link to that. And your Thanks. interviews are so Fabulous. It's like, I, I just love it because everything that you pull out from, from all of these people are just so they're just genius tips. I mean, they're, they're awesome. And you, I relate to all of them. Oh, <laughs> you thank know? You. And I, I think that, that anybody, you know, who's listening, we have a similar audience is going to, would get so much out of it. So, um, let us know how else we can find is everything at from founder to CEO, or is there anywhere else we should send our listeners? That's probably the best. Um, okay. We're pretty excited because a couple of weeks ago, um, Spotify put us on their system, um, their hand curating, hand selecting podcast right now. So we were like, wow, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Oh, that's but awesome. we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play. I mean, anywhere. And we, in fact, are just about ready to get into Alexa. Um, now you can tell, ask Alexa to play the podcast directly um, That's right now. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. So the company we use to host our, our podcast is Lipson, and they. Um, they help set with that stuff up. So yeah, from founder to CEO, all the links are on there. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I find most of my uh, of resources and people to talk to. Oh, fantastic. Well, Todd, this is so cool. I love it. Talking about all the things that I love, learning new stuff. And I'm I'm so glad that I got to speak with you and I can't wait for your next episode. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I love your podcast as well. And I love the storyboards and whiteboards that you guys do to your company. It's just, uh, we were talking before the show about how you can always tell one of the software based ones versus what you guys do and the custom versions. And you're, you're, it's just amazing what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we love it. We've got a great team. Awesome. Thank you, Todd. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests. Oh.